Tom Keating is a lifelong Catholic and native of Philadelphia. He's been involved with Catholic education for over 40 years as a student, a teacher, a coach, an athletic director, and presently principal at Xavier High School. Tom earned his BA in psychology at Simpson College. He holds a master's in education administration from Loris College. Tom spent 24 of those years at Wallert High School where he taught as a principal. All right. <laughs> He's known nationwide for his expertise in volleyball, having won 11 state championships at Wallert. He's been inducted into the uh, Iowa Volleyball Coaches Hall of Fame and the National Association of Athletic Coaches Hall of Fame. Recently, the National Catholic Education Association named Tom one of six recipients of the, its National Educator of the Year Award. He is the only principal selected. Tom and his wife, Joni, Jody, have three sons, Kevin, Tim, and Ryan. Tom and his family are members of St. Pius X Parish. Tom lives by the belief that we either get better or worse, we never stay the same. Tonight, Tom will speak to us on the fall and the call, my journey to Catholic leadership. Help me in welcoming Tom Please don't tell my girlfriend Jody about my wife Joni. <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> would you please join me in prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the Lord said, Go. And I said, Who? Me? And he said, Yes. But I'm not ready yet. I've got work, I've got meetings, I've got the kids and all their activities. You know how tight my schedule is. And he said, you're stalling. Again, the Lord said, go. And I said, but I don't want to. And he said, I didn't ask you if you wanted to. And I said, listen, I don't want to get involved. Besides, my friends won't like it. And what will my neighbors say? And he said, baloney. And yet a third time, the Lord said, go. And I said, do I have to? And he said, do you love me? I said, look, I'm scared. People will make fun of me and cut me into little pieces. I can't take it all by myself. And he said, where do you think I'll be? And the Lord said, go. And I sighed. Here I am. Send me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, good evening, and thank you for inviting me uh, to share my story tonight. Uh, 
Thanks especially to uh, one of the best salespeople, and I don't mean with products, uh, but with ideas and uh, getting us to do things he thinks uh, we should be doing, and that's Pete Matheson. Uh, thank you, Pete, for, for your work in bringing me, uh, bringing me here. Uh, I'm absolutely humbled by the opportunity. Uh, some of you know me. Uh, some of us have interacted uh, through my work at Xavier uh, or through uh, St. Pius uh, the 10th, where I'm a parishioner. And, uh, and I welcome all of you as well as those, as well as those of you uh, who don't know me. Uh, I've, uh, you know, as, a, as a, an educator, I have, uh, uh, I, I talk a lot to our teachers about having learning goals. So our learning goals tonight are, uh, by the time you leave, uh, I would like you to know my story. I would like you to realize that the love of God is the most important part of that story. And I would also like you to come to the realization that if God could do what he has done with me, everybody on the face of this planet has a chance. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I guess that when students, faculty, staff, parents, and supporters of Xavier look at their principal, and hear him speak about the importance of faith, speak from the heart about the importance of that faith, they might get the impression that he has his whole life together, and he probably always has. The reality is, like so many others, I've struggled with my faith, and although I've made progress, I continue to seek ways to get closer to God. As the Allman Brothers once sang back in the 70s, I'm no angel. Despite the fact that my family provided the foundation for a strong and committed faith life, I found ways to turn away from God and turn toward those things which took me further and further away from Him. Lucky for me, God did not abandon me as I had abandoned Him. And through His persistence and His love for me, I'm at a place in my life where my relationship with Him is the most important thing in my life, and always will be. Tonight, I'm humbled to share that journey with you. And I ask that as you listen, you consider your own faith journey and how you've been impacted by that very journey. Not only did I have the advantage of growing up in a Catholic family, an extended Catholic family, that was deep in its faith, but I grew up in an immigrant Catholic family. And believe me, there's a bit of a difference. My father was an Irish immigrant, and my mother was a first-generation Italian immigrant. Since we're in the middle of Respect Life Week, I'll share a brief story that I occasionally share with our students. Consider this. 1954. Irish immigrant marries Italian first-generation immigrant. How does that happen? In Philadelphia. Well, when I got old enough to count, I figured it out. My mom and dad were married in September. I was born in April. <laughs> Do the math. For a while, my mother tried to tell me I was premature. <laughs> the reality is, that if it wasn't for my mother choosing life and my father choosing to stand by her and to become and stand by me, quite frankly, and to raise a family, I wouldn't be here in front of you today 
talking about this topic. Culturally, in the late 50s and 60s, early 60s, the Irish and the Italians had very little in common, but what they did share was a deep commitment to Catholic teaching and an unquestionable loyalty to the Catholic Church. I was surrounded by parents, grandparents, aunts, and uncles who made faith a priority. We prayed together. We said the rosary together. Remember those car rides? Oh, geez, Grandma, not the sorrowful mysteries. <laughs> we went to Mass together. We talked about our faith together. And as if that wasn't enough, my parents gave me the gift of Catholic education. From first grade at St. Cyril of Alexandria to senior year at LaSalle College High School, I was massaged each and every day with the message that I was in the presence of God. A God who loved me, and a God who wanted me to love him back. When it came to my faith, and when it came to my faith life, I was set up for success. I would imagine you were too. I'll bet your circumstances were quite similar. Faith is an easy journey when you're a kid with the support of a faith-filled Catholic community and faith-filled school community. It's the thing to do. I just didn't know any different. My faith was somebody else's responsibility, and I was along for the ride. Who owns your faith? The path that led me away from my faith emerged when it became apparent that it was no longer somebody else's responsibility and that I had a choice. In grade school, we went to Mass with our families and we sat with our class while our parents attended Mass in the social hall. I'm guessing some of you can relate to that. Sisters took attendance to make sure we were all there. They made sure we kept quiet and did what we were supposed to do at Mass. Heaven forbid if we wouldn't respond with a prayer or if we didn't sing the hymns. Uh, we were kept in line. It was pretty easy to do. Once I entered high school, I attended Mass with my parents for a while, but eventually, like too many of my friends, I was embarrassed to be seen with my parents, even at church. And so we started to go to Mass together at a different time than our parents, so we wouldn't have to interact. Cool enough, right? A bunch of teenagers headed to Mass. But it wasn't long before we started skipping Mass. We would leave our houses dressed in our church clothes and headed to John's Drive-In for a couple of hot dogs and a Pepsi. Seriously, we turned our backs on God for a couple of hot dogs and a Pepsi on a Sunday morning. One of us was always charged with getting to the church and conducting a covert operation to make sure we grabbed the correct number of bulletins <laughs> so that when we got home, we could show the evidence that we had been there. I'm not sure if my parents ever caught wind of what I was doing, although I suspect maybe they did. But, quite frankly, as a symptom of all that was going on in their lives by the time I got to be a teenager, they had stopped going to church too. It's funny to me to hear people say that Mass is really not that big a deal. Because as I see it, once I drifted away from Mass, I drifted away from God altogether. 
God was out of my life, not because he abandoned me, because I abandoned him. Regardless of who abandoned whom, the reality was that God was no longer a part of my life. As I look back today, I realize that I spent years trying to replace God with worldly things, including alcohol, to keep me happy. I was never satisfied with my life, and alcohol helped keep me from thinking about how unhappy I was. Every weekend, my Stonehurst Hills posse and I either worked at a place called The Shack, which was a little restaurant. We were bus boys, and I made it all the way to parking lot attendant. <laughs> we would work, and then we'd gather at Stonehurst Elementary around the back. Uh, it's funny, this, uh, this picture of Stonehurst Elementary, none of us went there, but it was the neighborhood public school, and it was real close to where we lived. You know, those Philly row houses all, all stuck together, and well, this was just a block or two away, and that's where we would hang out. A friend of mine that I, you know, I've, Facebook is a kind of a deal, you know, and uh, and it's 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 like this, right? And part of it is you get to reconnect. That's the good news. The bad news is you get to reconnect. <laughs> and, uh, uh, some of my friends uh, have reconnected with me through Facebook, and one of my friends, uh, Charlie Anderson, who uh, is celebrating 25 years of sobriety, Charlie posted this picture on Facebook, and he had a pretty good caption with it. He said that the, the beauty and calmness of the front hid very well the chaos that went on out back. And he's right. That's where we gathered, and that's where the chaos happened. We would gather at Stonehurst, or we would head straight there, if we didn't work, for some basketball, maybe a little baseball. But regardless of when we got there and what we did first, the evening always ended with drinking. And my drinking intensified. As, a, as I got through my high school years, and it reached kind of a peak when my mother was committed to a mental institution at the end of my, between my sophomore year and my junior year in high school. My mom attempted suicide three times, and by the grace of God, my dad rescued her each time. Can you imagine what it was like for him to find his wife in such pain that she wanted to end it all. Can you imagine what it was like to be 16 and the way I saw it, have a crazy mother? Rather than relying on faith to see me through a difficult time, I drifted further away from God, blaming him for the things that were wrong in my life. I even dared him to take me. I begged him to take me. Just get me out of here. I'd sunk so low that I wanted to die. That was my prayer. That was the only prayer that I spoke as a teenager. End my life. Have you ever been that low? Have you ever been that far away from God? I was. I continued my life without God when I got to Simpson College in 1973. My dad and my counselor, by the way, you know, it was the 70s. And uh, you see that guy right there? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> that will not show up on any throwback Thursday picture. <laughs> my dad and uh, my counselor brother, John Delfonso, uh, one of the Christian brothers who ran LaSalle College High School, 
They believed I needed to grow up and I needed to get away from my friends if I was going to do that. Um, by the way, don't let my friends know about this talk because I, I, I actually am going to be with them a week from Friday. <laughs> so, just so you know. Uh, as far as they're concerned, they, they were the best influence in my life. And they, they made me do They actually think that I'm lying, that, they, they, that I do not, I, there is no way I'm the principal of a Catholic site. <laughs> and all these little business cards, and uh, it's not possible. But, uh, you know, my dad said I could come home when I grew up and when I learned some responsibility. Forty years later, I'm still here. What's that tell you? I left my friends, I left my family, and I left my influences. But as the old saying goes, wherever you go, there you are. I may have gotten away from friends that were like me, but I certainly didn't get away from me. I still had the same issues, and I was still dealing with those in the same way. Without God and without direction, my reliance on alcohol increased. To this day, I have no idea how I earned a degree, let alone finish summa cum laude. I have no idea how I managed to play college basketball. I succeeded in spite of myself. You know, I look back to those days, and actually, as I was putting this together, it was amazing how distant that, that time seems and how much it seems like I was writing a story and wasn't really writing about me. But the more I got into it, the more I realized that it was me, and the more emotional I started to feel about it, and the more connected to that person I became. Looking back, I guess it was another addiction that tricked me into thinking I was okay, and that addiction was work. Nobody outworked me in basketball practice. Nobody outworked me as far as studies went. Uh, I was out to prove something. I was out to prove that I could do something well. People in Philly, when I left, said, college, you'll never make it. People out there said, Bas college basketball, you don't have a chance. And that drove me, in spite of the fact that I was kind of spinning out of control. That work ethic, that focus of not letting anything interfere with it, I wish I could have taken that and put it into my faith, but I didn't. As long as I worked hard at basketball and at school and at my work-study job, I didn't have to think. I didn't have to think of what kind of life I was leading and certainly didn't have to think about life without God. I was using every defense mechanism in the book. I may have given up on God, but he certainly didn't give up on me. God spoke to me through so many people who tried to comfort me and guide me. He spoke through teachers and coaches. They could see something was wrong. They wanted to help, but I kept my distance. God whispered in a wonderful aunt's ear to get me on the right track. He walked with me through a girlfriend who listened to my plight and tried to ease my pain by simply being present. He provided a father who, despite a life that was rocking him to the core, remained committed to his wife and to his family. I didn't recognize the voice of God, nor did I recognize the face of God. I ignored him. I went about my business without him. 
I was stalling. You ever found yourself stalling? Often. I went through high school and college without God in my life, and I paid the price. By ignoring him and the guidance he could provide, I became bitter, and my relationships suffered. Relationships with friends, family, teachers, coaches, you name it. It was painful. I felt so alone, but oddly enough, preferred to be alone. It was a vicious, self-destructive, emotional cycle. And the Lord said, go. His whispering and talking wasn't changing me, so he took it to another level. The turnaround started on a Sunday morning in Maxwell, Iowa. I was teaching at a public school, Maxwell High School. It's about 20 miles outside of Ames. It's a guy who grew up in Philadelphia. He's in Maxwell, Iowa, population <laughs> 600. 600. There were 110 students in the high school. Uh, and that's where I was. I was teaching in Maxwell. It was my third year when my, uh, my inner Philly child started to get restless. It was time to go. I needed a different environment, certainly something bigger than Maxwell. Back then, uh, teaching jobs were posted in the Des Moines Register. And one Sunday morning, uh, well, every Sunday morning, I would scan uh, the newspaper back then. And some of you who are teachers here probably remember, not only did we scan the paper if we were looking for a job, we scanned it for gossip. Who's leaving? You know? <laughs> what school has an opening? What happened to that guy? You know, why did he go? But I was scanning and I saw a job at Wallard High School in Dubuque. Wallard's the only Catholic school in Dubuque, and I knew that. And I had seen Wallard High School on TV at the state basketball tournament. I knew all about Eddie Colbert and those folks. Um, so I knew it was a Catholic school. And they had an opening for uh, a psychology teacher. Um, and that was my major. Uh, at Maxwell, I was to, you know, has anybody ever taught in a junior high or middle school? Yeah. You know what you teach there? Everything. <laughs> you, don't, you don't just teach math. You teach math and social studies and PE and you name it, you teach it. Well, here's a chance for me to teach my subject, what I studied uh, back, in, back in college. And I thought, uh, okay, uh, but it's a big school. And I'm teaching this itty bitty school. I don't think I have a chance. So I didn't do anything. Day went by, two days went by, you know, single guy, apartment, paper still on the floor on Wednesday. And I look at it, and for some reason, for whatever reason, I took out the typewriter, not the computer, <laughs> took out the typewriter, and I wrote a letter of application for a job at Wallard High School in Dubuque, Iowa. After a few days of indecision, I, I sent the letter. And, uh, and it was on its way, and I didn't give it much thought after that. I figured they'll see it, they'll put it in their pile, and I'll never hear from them again. The principal at Waller during that time was Father Joe Harrard. Does anybody here know Father Joe Harrard? Okay. Father Harrard became quite a mentor to me over the years, but that's not part of the story. Father Harrard's best friend was Father Tom Keating pastor of Holy Ghost Parish in Dubuque, Iowa. 
Father Tom Keating passed away in February of that same year, and now Father Joe Herard has in front of him a letter of application for his school from Tom Keating. <laughs> might say somebody was opening the door for me. When I look back now, I realize that God was inviting me home. About the same time, he blessed me with an incredible wife, Joe D., <laughs> who went with me to a place that would become the path to the light that would save me from the darkness. I tell people often, we went to the interview, Jody and I both went. They loved Jody. <laughs> and they figured if we want her around, we're going to have to <laughs> So there I am. My first few weeks at Waller were a combination of comfort and uneasiness. I was back in familiar surroundings, Catholic school, but I'd been away from the church for so long that I wasn't very comfortable with the demonstrative expression of that faith uh, and the way people who had that kind of faith surrounded me. So, I did what I knew how to do best. I resisted. I went through the motions, but I didn't make much of an effort to connect back to my faith. God led me to the water, but like the stubborn horse, I wouldn't drink. I was Catholic in name and presence, but not much more. I was still stalled. My guess is some of you know what it feels like to go through the motions. And the Lord said, go. In the spring of 1981, two Waller teachers and to this day great friends of mine, J.L. Brimmeyer and Jim Cool, invited me to be on the Waller team uh, for Teens Encounter Christ. That was a retreat for seniors from Waller and from other schools in the Archdiocese. How many of you have ever been on a tech? Okay. Served as maybe a leader on a tech? serve us part of the team on attack. So you know what I'm talking about. I said yes, but immediately I asked myself, what are, what are you doing? <laughs> Why would you say yes to this? You know, three days of praying? Uh, and, but JL was such a great guy and Jim Cool was such a great guy that it was kind of hard, they're kind of like Pete. It's kind of hard to say, say no. You know? and so I said yes. I hung up and the first thing I thought about was how am I going to get out of this? You know, what am I going to tell them? Maybe I'll be sick that weekend. Maybe something will come up. But I had that decision remorse. I had no interest in spending three days in a holy experience. But I agreed to do it, so I decided to honor my commitment, even though I had no intention of being engaged in anything at all that went on that weekend. Tech is supposed to be an opportunity for young people to connect with Jesus and to get, to, to get, as Father Denny mentioned, on a personal level with him. In three days, students are guided through the Easter mystery using the words, die, rise, and go. I'm not sure how many students connected to Jesus that weekend, but I can tell you that I did. It was during Palanca time where we read those wheat letters, those notes of support that people sent us, followed by reconciliation, <clears throat> that the waves of Christ's love poured over me like a gentle waterfall. 
I was overwhelmed. It was such an intense feeling that it was almost scary. But then again, how can an encounter with God not be intimidating? I cried until I had no tears left. I cried tears of joy for a love I'd never felt before. I cried tears of relief for the forgiveness, the likes of which I had never experienced before. I cried tears of sadness for the way I had turned my back on his love and on his forgiveness for so long. Probably most importantly, I cried out the pain that I had been feeling for all those years. As they say at Tech, I had truly died to myself. The self-destructive, distant Tom Keating died that day. Out of those deaths rose the beginnings of the man that you see today. One that's still a long, long, long way from what God wants him to be, but nonetheless, closer than he's ever been before. And a man who understands that he could slip back into darkness if he fails to keep working in his relationship with God. Because as I tell our Xavier Saints often, we either get better or worse. We never stay the same. You know, it's kind of weird, this slipping back into darkness. Yesterday, as I was driving to school, after I, had, you know, I, as I'm preparing for this, and I got ready to go to school yesterday, I listened to satellite radio, which makes my wife angry because she sells radio advertising. <laughs> uh, but as I'm driving to school, a song by the band War came on that I hadn't heard in years. And that song is called Slippin' Into Darkness. And what a song it is. It took me all the way back to those years and reminded me of how far the Lord has brought me. Absolutely. From that moment on, my faith became an important part of who I am. I began to pray in the morning and in the evening, and to this day that's still my practice. But my prayers are much more conversational and less formal. Sometimes we argue. Sometimes I'm not very happy with him. And sometimes he's not very happy with me, and I can feel it. But it's a conversation. I pray as if he listens to me. I pray as if he listens to me and what I have to say. I listen as if he's going to speak to me. I prayed and continue to pray spontaneously in fear, in pain, and in joy. I went back to attending Mass and it seemed very different. Before tech, if I ever did go to Mass, especially in those early years, teenage years, it was like putting in your time. Yeah, you gotta do it. Once a week, you're supposed to be there. And so I was. And I wanted that to be as short as possible. Easy on the hymns, please, no baptisms. And can we, uh, can we just settle on Eucharistic prayer number two? <laughs> now I feel God speaking to me through the scripture. I don't feel him talking to us as a group. I feel, feel him talking to each of us individually. For me, it's personal. 
and I feel the presence of his son Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. It's not about ingesting the body and blood. It's about what that body and blood do to change the world through me. It's about the responsibility that comes with walking out of Mass with Christ inside of me. Yeah, after tech, things at Mass made sense. The Word, the homily, the Eucharist, it all made sense. And I wondered how could I be so foolish? How could I be so dumb? It makes more sense every time I go to Mass. The Word made flesh, the Lamb of God. Words that meant nothing to me now mean everything to me. And I find myself wanting more. That's why I've become a lector and Eucharistic minister, to get even closer and to feel an even more intense responsibility to God. Now not only do I hear his word, I speak it for him. Not only do I take the body and blood with me and take it out of mass, I distribute it. And I allow others to do the same. Hopefully the mass makes that kind of sense to you. It was truly like a light shown on every part of, or like a light shown on every part of my life. My eyes were opened in a way that I can never have imagined, and I gained an entirely new perspective on everything, including the people in my life. I became a better husband because because I saw my wife with the eyes of Christ. I became a better father because I saw my children through the eyes of Christ. I became a better teacher and coach because I saw my students and my athletes with the eyes of Christ. I became a better son, friend, colleague, and neighbor because I was looking at the world and the people in it through a different lens, and that lens was the lens of Christ. Imagine what you can see if you look at everyone and everything through those eyes. And you know, a funny thing happened on the way back to my faith and my Catholic roots. People treated me better. Or at least that's the way it felt. My view of how people treated me certainly was better and had changed. I was less defensive. Because I was less defensive, less bitter, less edgy, and less unapproachable, people were no longer afraid to get close to me. It was then that I realized that God's love is not necessarily a laser pointed directly at me. His love is dispersed through all of those in my life, and so it constantly surrounds me. Quite frankly, I don't know what I'd do without that love. My life, like many of you, has had its share of challenges. When you are connected to faith, connected to God, your troubles don't magically disappear. But those troubles are viewed in a different way and viewed with the confidence that, you that, that God will be there with you through it all, regardless of the challenge. My oldest son, the chosen one, a son who seemed to have everything going for him, Incredible student, talented athlete, socially connected, 
has approached the same depths that I experienced. And if you've experienced a son or daughter with an addiction and with no direction in life, you know how bad it hurts. You know what it feels like to visit your child in jail. You know what it's like to go weeks without hearing from them. You know what it's like to hear bad news after bad news about them. You know what it's like to pick up the paper and read their name. You know what it's like to cry yourself to sleep. But I pray. And others pray for me and for him. And those prayers, which help me feel the love of God, are what have given me the strength to persevere and believe that even though he's 30 years old and has very little direction, that he will find God, and he will find that direction again. We'll need those prayers as he continues to work now to move his life in a better direction. The love I feel is the love that gets me through that kind of stuff. Can you feel that same love? Has that love helped you through some of the challenges in your life? I like to think that God was so pleased with the direction I was heading that he saw I was ready for something bigger. In reality, our Lord saw that I was still a work in progress, and he needed to challenge me a little bit more. He wasn't finished with me yet. So in 2004, he took me out of my comfort zone once again and called me to Xavier High School. I was happy in Dubuque. I have lots of friends in Dubuque. We had great friends. I was the activities director and a very successful coach in a phenomenal Catholic high school. After 24 years there, we truly felt that Dubuque was home. I had absolutely no desire to be anywhere else, but I was called. Has God ever called you somewhere that you didn't know why he was sending you? Did he just say, go? He did. I was reluctant to leave Dubuque, and I was reluctant to look at Xavier. The way this all came about was Mike Winker, who's the activities director at Xavier, he and I got to be friends because I was the activities director at Waller. So we went to meetings together. We talked Catholic school talk because we're the only two Catholic schools in the conference. And uh, we, we, we talked about how nobody else understood us, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, so Mike and I got to know each other really very well. And in 2004, Jeff Henderson announced that he was going to be leaving uh, Xavier High School as its principal to become the superintendent of schools for the Archdiocese of Dubuque. So Mike reached out to me and said, what do you think about taking a look at the Xavier principal job? And I laughed. And I said, I, I don't think so. I, I don't have any interest in that. I, I never had an interest in being a principal. Principal, a hard job. You know that? <laughs> Didn't I know that? You know, I still remember being uh, at a meeting with uh, uh, 
we have to, as administrators, you have to take a course called evaluator training. And what that is, it's they train you how to evaluate teachers, how to spot good teaching, and, 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 and what to do to evaluate it. And I was at one of those trainings in Dubuque because I was an administrator, as an activities director, and there are principals there and there are superintendents there. There was a little group of superintendents sitting at the table just yucking it up over there, having a pretty good time. Superintendent's job, must, it must be a good life, because they were having a lot of fun. But they were having a good time. And I overheard one of them as they were chuckling about something. To this day, I still hear this voice. I overheard one of them say, why anyone in their right mind would ever want to be a high school principal, I'll never know. <laughs> that voice rings about two, three times a week. But nonetheless. But Mike was on me about trying to, uh, to apply for the job, and I, I put him off, and I put him off. I said, really, I, I'm not interested at all. Uh, and, and the reality was that, um, you know, he continued to badger me until I applied. He said, just apply, and if you get an interview, at least just come down and see the school. Maybe you can offer us ways to improve. Maybe you'll see things about Xavier that you can say, you know, if you guys would just do this and this, maybe it'll be better. Fine. So I sent the letter in the last day that you could send the letter in to Xavier for, for the job. And Joy Long was the, the Board of Education uh, president at that time. And about a day later, I got a phone call from Joy Long saying, we'd like you to come down for an interview. So I did. Uh, although I thought, I don't know I want to do that. I don't want to get anybody's hopes up. Why would I go waste anybody's time? But there was something gnawing at me, something that just said, go, just go take a look at it, figure it out. And I was so uh, kind of uh, disengaged in the whole process that when I got to Cedar Rapids that night, I realized I didn't have anything with me. So I thought I better look like I prepared for this. So I stopped at like Kmart or something and bought a notebook. <laughs> and, I took it with me. And, I, and I showed and I thought, you know what? These people are gonna they're gonna they're gonna see what they get. I mean what, what they see is what they're gonna get. I'm, there's no pretense. I'm not gonna give them any handouts, I'm not gonna show them any fancy things I've done. We're, I'm just gonna answer questions and we'll, and we'll see how it goes. So uh, I got the interview and then uh, uh, I was offered the position. And thought, ooh, now I have a decision to make. And my first response was, uh, isn't that neat that they would like to have me, but I'm not going because I'm happy here. And I got a couple phone calls from people in Cedar Rapids who knew me and talked to me a little bit. And it made me not so much say, yeah, I think I'll do that, but think about it a little bit more. Uh, our family had a little powwow. We talked about what we, uh, what we uh, maybe should do. And uh, really it came down to one guy, and it was my son, Tim. Tim's our, our middle son, he's 26. And Tim was gonna be a junior in high school that year. And, uh, and he didn't know that he was the, you know, he was the vote, the deciding vote. But Jody and I, we, I, we had talked and I told Jody, if, if Tim indicates in the least a resistance to do this, we are not going. I will not do this to him. It is his junior year in high school and I will not do it. And so we, and if you know Tim, you will not be surprised by this. So we sat down, said, Tim, we got, and you know, Ryan was four. So that, hey, I got a new room. He, you know, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't going to be a new room for him. He was going to be all right. So uh, we sat Tim down. Kevin was off to college already. Uh, he, he was freshman in college. And uh, so we talked to, we talked to, uh, uh, to Tim. 
And I said, Tim, here's the deal. And he knew that I went down and, and interviewed. But I said, uh, I got offered the job. And your mom and I have been talking. And, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. And we didn't say, do you want to go or not? We just talked it through to get a sense of where he was. And he said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I'm not sure. There's some things about it that are pretty cool. But, and, uh, and all he said was, well, if it's, a, if it's something you want to do and you think it'd be good, and it's a good school. He says, is it a good school? I said, yeah. He said, well, if we go, sure, I'll go. And uh, I thought, you know, and if you know Tim, you, you, that shouldn't surprise you. Uh, but when you think about a 17, 16 or 17 year old kid leaving all his friends, and everybody he knows, to go somewhere where he doesn't know anybody, it just doesn't seem right. Something else was at work. It was not just me making this decision. I was being pushed in that direction. So I thought of every reason not to go, and I still went anyway. I called Joy Long. I said, uh, Joy, we'd be, be happy to, to be a part of Xavier. And uh, we, uh, we met Joy at Culver's on Boyson Road and signed the contract. Because uh, uh, she was afraid if she mailed it, I'd have too much time to think about it. So she showed up there, and we signed it. But as soon as I did, I had decision remorse. From the moment I signed that contract, I thought, what have I done? You are leaving everything you know and everybody you know. And you're going to start at 50 years old. You're going to start somewhere new and try this all over again. What are you doing to your family? What are you doing to yourself? But I made a commitment. And I decided to go. We did all the goodbyes. We had all, you know, I, I stood in a room full of volleyball players and former volleyball players uh, who were there to say goodbye, see me go, and I cried like a baby. And I thought, what am I doing? I came down, I went through, and you know, there are a couple of my, my teachers, wonderful people who are here supporting me tonight that uh, remember those first couple of years uh, where all I could think about was how am I going to get back? I need to find a way back. Uh, and I didn't, I, I didn't embrace what I had in front of me. I was so worried about what I didn't have anymore. But the longer I was there, and the more that uh, I, 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 I got into it, uh, the more I understood that something bigger was at work uh, than, I, than, than me. Um, I didn't understand what was expected of me, and I think that's why I wanted to go back. And it wasn't so much what was expected of me by the Board of Education, uh, or what was expected of me by our parents, or our teachers or our students. I just didn't understand what God expected of me. And I asked, and I wasn't getting the answers. And I'm not sure I have it all figured out yet, but I think I have a little better idea now uh, than I did when I accepted the position. God did not call me to Xavier to design curriculum, make schedules, or fill out reports. He didn't call me to Xavier to increase enrollment or to raise money. Although I think sometimes he thinks that's an okay thing too. <laughs> he called me as Xavier to be a servant leader and to guide others to do the same. He called me to spread his word to our community. And he called me to build relationships with students, teachers, staff, parents, pastors, benefactors, and community members. He called me to help those same people build relationships with each other. 
I'm sure uh, many of you know Monsignor Blight. Uh, Pete mentioned him earlier uh, this evening. Monsignor Blight is one of the wisest and most compassionate men I have ever met in my life. Who has not had this experience with Monsignor Blake? You meet the guy, you leave him after that first meeting, and you go, okay, what's his deal, right? <laughs> what, what's his angle? Something's up with that. Nobody is that nice, nobody is that genuine, nobody is that interested in me. So how, how does that work? Well, you, you know what he's like. Um, he told me two things I'll never forget. One of those was while I was taking a grad class at Loris, and we had to do a mock interview with Monsignor Blake as if we were applying for an administration job. So I did my mock interview with him, and we had a great talk, and he asked some great questions. And at the end of it, he stood up, he took my hand, he held me, he wouldn't let go. You know, remember that, that scene in the movie uh, Ocean's Eleven where the, the guy trying to buy the vans is holding the, the van dealer's hand, he won't let him go until he says, okay, I'll sell him to you for $16,000. Well, Monsignor has my hand, he won't let go. And he looks me in the eyes, piercing through me, and said, someday we will hire you to lead one of our schools in the archdiocese. And this is when I was, I wasn't even an activities director yet. I was a classroom teacher. Good one. You know, that's not happening. I don't know where you're coming off uh, thinking that, but it's not. But what a great guy. And the second thing he told me just a couple of years ago, was that in education, there are thinkers and there are lovers. And you, Tom, are a lover. And I wasn't quite sure what he meant by that. But I think he meant that I was a relationship builder. And while I have a long, long way to go, I think he might be onto something. Maybe I am a lover. And if I am, it's only because I walk with the love of Christ inside of me. It's his love that I share with our students. It's a compassionate love, and it's a tough love. Whether it's Friday morning reflection, addressing students at Mass, addressing them at assemblies, my daily tweets to the Xavier Saints, the message is clear. God did not place us on this earth to be ordinary. We have a responsibility to be his presence in the lives of everyone. He does not expect us to be perfect, but he does expect us to develop the gifts he has given us for his kingdom. He does expect us to serve his people. He does expect us to take our candles and go light our world. I'm not perfect. I never will be. Some days I can't get past that kid I was. Some days I look in the mirror. Ever do this? I look in the mirror and I kind of see that 17-year-old guy. No, no, I don't look bad. <laughs> and I, I feel like I haven't changed sometimes at all. And I'm not perfect, and I do wish, you know, I, have you ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? Remember at his parole hearing, and they ask him, are you rehabilitating? He says, you know, am I sorry for what I did? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to go back and talk to that kid, that stupid kid, and tell him how the world is, and tell him what's right. 
But that kid's long gone, and all that's left is this old man. I feel the same way. So often, I feel like I wish I could go back and tell my mother I'm sorry for the way I treated her. I wish I could go back and tell my dad I'm sorry for the pain that you're feeling. I wish I could go back and tell my brothers I'm sorry I acted like you were an imposition in my life when I was called on to take care of you. I wish I could go back and tell my teachers I'm sorry for the kind of student that I was in your class, but I can't. But what I can do is try to impart that same sense of wisdom and responsibility, try to impart that kind of experience to the students that are at Xavier, either through their parents or to them individually. As I examine my life and my journey, I'm often tempted to quote the Grateful Dead and say what a long, strange trip it's been. <laughs> From compliant to defiant to reliant. But instead, I like to think back to that theme of tech that turned my life around. Die, rise, and go. With the emphasis now on go. He watched a child that had everything going for him turn his back on his faith and his family. He cried while I cried. And there's something Pete mentioned Father O'Connor. Father O'Connor has guided me through some of the toughest times as a principal at Xavier. We've lost two students at Xavier since I've been principal. And I remember Father and I talking on the first one. And I said, how in the world am I going to stand in front of our students and ease their pain? How am I going to answer the question, why would God let something like this happen? And Father O'Connor, as simply as anybody's ever put it, said, Tom, God cried when you cried. He cries when all of us cry. And there's no doubt in my mind that he cried while I cried as he watched me nearly self-destruct. He saw I was broken. He constructed a path out of the darkness, and, and that path even I couldn't miss. He led me home to a faith that would be my strength. He took me in his arms, and he raised me up on eagle's wings. And now that I understand, he has sent me to do his will. If he has done all of this with the likes of me, imagine what he can do with you. I look around this beautiful church and I see a lot of familiar faces and I'm tempted to say, I wish I had the kind of faith that you do. But the reality is, just as you didn't know mine, I don't know your story. Regardless of whether you have it all together or you are struggling, my challenge to all of you is the same. Open your ears and open your eyes to Christ. If you have it all together, He needs you more than you could ever imagine. More than you think you are capable of. He needs you to minister to those who struggle. He needs you to witness to those who are skeptical. He needs you to evangelize and grow His kingdom. He needs you to find His lost sheep and bring them home. 
He needs you to be the light in this too often dark world. Open your eyes to see where you are needed. Open your ears to hear his call. I challenge you as I challenge our students at Xavier, if not you, then who? And if not now, then when? If you are struggling, open your eyes to the path he has laid before you. Open your ears to his message of comfort. Open your heart to his incredible and unconditional healing love. Accept and believe that he will lead you out of the darkness. Follow him. And when you emerge from that darkness, commit to his will and commit to working endlessly to see that others experience his same, that same unending love. <coughs> and the Lord said, go. And I said, who, me? He said, yes, but I'm not ready. I've got work, I've got meetings, I've got the kids and all their activities. You know how tight my schedule is. And he said, you're stalling. Again, the Lord said, go. And I said, but I don't want to. And he said, I didn't ask if you wanted to. And I said, listen, I don't want to get involved besides my friends. They won't like it. And what will my neighbors say? And he said, baloney. And a third time the Lord said, go. And I said, do I have to? And he asked, do you love me? And I said, look, I'm scared. People will make fun of me and cut me into little pieces. I can't take it all by myself. And he said, where do you think I'll be? And the Lord said, go. And I sighed. Here I am. Send me. Lord, give us the strength to say yes when you challenge us. Help us put our fears and our pride aside so we might do your will instead of remaining in the comfort of our own. We ask this through your son, Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. One God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.